On April 26, 1986, in a small, relatively unknown city on the northern edge of Ukraine, disaster struck. A Soviet nuclear reactor suddenly exploded, sending deadly radiation all throughout Eastern Europe. In the following days, the Soviets rushed to contain the radiation and at the same time try and convince everyone that it wasn't that bad or that it hadn't even happened at all. In this week's episode of HPH, we're taking a look at the disaster, its causes, and the <laughs> fallout that ensued. <laughs> so, grab a drink, settle in, and enjoy this episode of 100 Proof History titled Chernobyl. HBO lied to me. This is 100 Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Well, hey, Christopher. Hello, Gregory. How you doing, man? I am doing fantastic, and yourself? Not too bad, man. What do you think of this book? This book, our main source, uh, Midnight at Chernobyl by Adam Higginbottom. I thought it was pretty good. Oh, the listeners here. Uh, I thought it was a private combo. It's about to start talking about our panty collection. <laughs> uh, hello, listener. I'm still sitting at zero, by the way. I haven't uh, added anything to it. Eventually it'll happen for me, right? I meant the ones that we buy for ourselves. Oh, okay. I was yeah. I was thinking of the ones that you do the 16 candles thing where you convince a girl to give them to you so you can show them to your nerd friends, and I'm still at zero. The trophy? <laughs> yeah, I'm still at zero. It's just the boogers on the bedpost for us. <laughs> yeah, so um, it was a good book. People who are listening, who just... Decided to stroll on up to this private conversation, kind of wedge yourself between us. It's like, oh, hey, 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 I read books. Yeah. Number one, you're a weirdo. Yeah. No, you're doing interrupting our private painting conversation, but uh, <laughs> here you are. And uh, I can tell by the quiver of your lips, that gleam in your eye, that you want to hear more about this book that we've read. You want to hear more. About the story of Chernobyl. I like this image. I like that our conversations just go, so how was this book? Oh, was pretty good. Yeah, how's your panty collection doing, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get and to it, the fucking nitty gritty, Chris. <laughs> third person's like, no, 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 no. Back it up, back it up. Chernobyl. <laughs> what was that I, about? I'm sorry. We'll get to the panty collection later. <laughs> what were you saying about that Chernobyl book? <laughs> like that's the, you know, that's the enticing. That's the salacious little nugget. Right. That we left behind. Yeah, they've been listening for a hundred something episodes. They know we're we're fucked up, but we're gonna teach them something about history. So that's what they're here for. Not uh, our proclivities, as you will. What what about the new listener? Wow. This is a normal podcast. <laughs> and all we talk about is history. That's true. We throw some PG humor in every once in a while. <laughs> Isn't that right, Christopher? Yep, you know, we we like to cut it up as we will say, you know, you just like to throw in a little bit of the funny. Just mix it up with a little razzmatazz of jokes, but it's mostly about history, guys. New listener. Think they bought it? I don't know, just text me the panty details. <laughs> we'll do. 
Uh, yeah, so it was a very good book. I highly recommend it, and that's the one we'll be focusing on today. There is a second book that came out around the same time uh, called Voices from Chernobyl, and we've talked about this before. Uh, a lot of it, this came up in our World War I uh, shows, where you have one that's just the history, it's just the facts, and you kind of get an idea of what happened. That would be Midnight at Chernobyl, which is our main source. Voices from Chernobyl is this book where this lady went back 10 years after and interviewed people that had moved to the zone, who had worked in the zone, and all this. It's like soul-crushingly depressing, you know? It's like, well, you know it's good, but it's also making you want to cry your eyes out and kill yourself, so. Oh, normal life. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. I don't have it that bad, but they fucked up my order at McDonald's this morning, so I got the the gun in my mouth and everybody's having to talk me off the bridge at the same time mcdonald's closed at four can't get <laughs> fucking workers for these shit wages <laughs> have supply chain issues they have no beef they would fucking kill about that isn't that how it works though it snowballs it's just one little thing that just sets you off and it rolls down the hill the proverbial straw yeah speaking of straws they broke the camel's back. Are you ready to chase off all our new listeners by talking about Chernobyl? Mm, I can't wait. Let's fucking do it. I'm in my best panties. Let's go. <laughs> in 1970, a man named Viktor Brukhanov arrived in the town of Chernobyl, Ukraine, having been tasked with finding an acceptable site for a new Soviet Union nuclear power plant. He was tasked with this because he was a rising star in the Ministry of Energy and he was being rewarded for his loyalty and his ability to get tasks accomplished. Victor had pretty much zero knowledge of radiation or nuclear power plants, which, uh, ah, who cares. Despite that small hurdle, using just some blueprints and a slide ruler, he was able to find a suitable location about 20 kilometers northwest of Chernobyl at a spot along the Pripyat River. The site was quickly approved by the ministry, and so Brukhanov had a road and a railway built and imported an army of laborers to begin work on both the plant and the Atomgrad, or Atomic City, that would provide the construction workers and future plant workers a place to live. The city was known as Pripyat, and it was so hastily constructed that people were already moving into their apartments before they had heat or paved roads. A sanitary zone was set up between Pripyat and the plant to keep the citizens safe from low levels of radiation, but over the years, people would encroach on that area to build summer homes. Like, it's nice and warm there. They can't figure it out. Like, during the winter, you know. Man, I get a tan indoors. <laughs> it's so this great. This is fucking awesome. Yeah. I don't even have to shave my pubes. They just fall off. <laughs> I'm so sexy right now, aren't I, guys? That Playboy bunny marker just melted right into my hip. It's fantastic. <laughs> I'll never tan there. It's all raised up now, but, you know, that's cool. It's like a 3D tan marker. Yeah, I'm coughing up blood, but don't it look sexy doing it? Like, I'm killing this look, right? <laughs> and look at my penis, guys. I mean, I don't have any follow-up for that one, but just look at <laughs> just my look, penis. Just look. Look at it. <laughs> Hold on, let me pull the panties aside. There you go. <laughs> Where are you going? Where are you going? It's my birthday party. <laughs> and I could cry if I want to. <laughs> this this poor bastard can't get anyone in those hazmat suits with the dosimeters to stare at his dick. <laughs> it's like... 
we're not going. We're going to leave. No, no, it's not because of your dick guy. I swear. I swear. Nobody loves me. <laughs> oh, well, uh, hello again, new listener. Uh, sorry. Chris, back on track. Yes. PG jokes only. Thank you. As for the plan itself, it would initially be called Chernobyl after the nearby town. A few years later, it would be renamed to the V.I. Lennon Nuclear Power Station. But everyone knows you can't give yourself a cool nickname. They all just called it Chernobyl anyway. I am the walrus? No, Donnie. V.I. Lennon. Vladimir Ilovich Lennon! Oh. Guess I was out of my element there. <sighs> yes. See, there's a PG joke for him. We nailed it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so hard right now. Damn it. You're stretching the panties. You stop it. <laughs> You're going to ruin the lace. Jesus. Those are antique panties. I got them in an estate sale. <laughs> My grandma was hoping to make some money off those. <laughs> They're that perfect color of... You can't, Are they off-white or are they yellow? I don't know. <laughs> They're just antiqued. <laughs> just... They've got a fine, uh, a fine patina to them. They are aged in one area very more than other areas. It's weird. Is it worn more in the butt area? <laughs> of my grandma's panties? Or her penis area? <laughs> you want to hear a funny true story? My great-grandma was having a conversation with my grandma and her husband, my grandfather, one day, and they were all... In advanced age, this is not something that happened when they were young. And my great-grandma asked them how her sex life was. And she's like, I don't really want to talk about it. And my great-grandma said, well, sometimes you just got to grease up your bottom and grin and bear it. Yep. What? <laughs> yes. Old people don't have sex. Grease up your bottom, like she's saving her bacon grease. Like you see her in the morning just cooking bacon and eggs oh. for the family and like just put that That's over what there. she does when she pours it in that jar. <laughs> yeah. oh. Like she's winking at your great granddad like, hey. And you're like a kid and you open up that container of Cool Whip. Oh no. It's in the freezer thinking it's Cool Whip. Yeah. But it's just that bacon grease and there's finger marks in it. <laughs> That's a, what it's for. There's a dick imprint in it. You don't know what it is. You still Jesus think it's Cool Christ. Whip, so you take a big spoonful and put it in your mouth. Like, ah, oh, gross. This Cool Whip tastes like penis. Ah. Oh. I'm eight, and I know what that tastes like. <laughs> oh, goodbye, new listeners. You made it this far. The first plans call for two RBMK nuclear reactors to be built. Naturally, all of us are fluent in Russian, and know that RBMK stands for Reactor Bolshoi Moshnosti Kanalny. But for all those dumb, dumb, stupid head nuclear engineers that only speak English, <laughs> that's a high-power channel-type reactor. Duh. You fucking morons. And for all of you... Super special on the spectrum morons who didn't pay attention to your high school nuclear reactor classes. In a few minutes, we'll talk a little bit more about them in a way so dumbed down that even Wolf Dick will understand it. Fuck you, Chris. No, fuck you, buddy. Fuck you. I saw those pictures my wife got on her phone. Chris, 
He's our producer. <sighs> Settle down. Yeah, whatever. We need his millions. I've had it with this motherfucker. We can live off the patron money, right? It's $2 a month. <laughs> we charge $3 a month. Fuck. I think they're fucking us. <laughs> now, the ministry wanted the first reactor to be up and running in 1975, and the second to be ready by 1979. Victor Brukhanov knew that it was damn near impossible to get uh, that shit ready by that time, because Soviet manufacturing standards were so... How you say dog shit? That's Russian for dog shit. Uh, oh, okay. Deliveries to Chernobyl were often delayed or lost. The reinforced concrete they received was so shitty that most of it had to be thrown away and remade on site. It became common practice that when they received machinery, they'd have to take it apart, fix all the defects in the parts, and then reassemble it before it could be used or installed. By July of 1972, almost nothing at the plant had actually been built, and Brukhanov was so fed up with the headaches of building the plant in a whole goddamn city at the same time that he drove to the city of Kiev to hand in his resignation. Now, before we get much further, it is important to know how things worked in the Soviet Union in the 70s and 80s. The Communist Party controlled pretty much everything, especially when it came to who got rewarded and promoted at work. So, a big boss would yell and scream at his subordinate, who was a yes-man, and that guy would scream at his subordinate, who was a yes-man, and that would go all the way down the ladder to the humble worker who got all the shit without any of the praise. 100 Proof History Fuck you, Dan. You don't do shit. <laughs> Since everyone is a bully to the guy below them, that guy never, ever wanted to admit to a mistake. All anyone wanted was results. Now, naturally, this led to everyone lying about how great they were doing to make themselves look better. And since it was a communist society, there was no capitalist competition to force them to do better. Now, as an analogy, let's, let's imagine you live in Soviet Russia and you need a dildo. Which, of course, everybody needs a dildo, right? All right? Everybody? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, good. Get a good one and pass it down through the generations, you know? Yeah. Grandpa's old wooden dildo. <laughs> He's wrapped up in Grandma's lace-stained panties. Well, Grandma's is cast iron, you know, and it's been used for so long that it's, it's seasoned. <laughs> yeah, you, you look for those soap. in garage sales, you know, because it's <laughs> so smooth. And by, if you wash them with soap, yeah. <laughs> somebody's going to yell at you. Yeah, you don't know what you're doing, obviously, yeah. No, so you need a dildo. Well, in Soviet Russia, there's only like one company. It's all the way in Ukraine, and they're the ones that produce all the dildos for all the entire Soviet Union. So you order it, and the guy makes, you know, everybody orders them from this company. The guy makes 100 dildos, ships them up. The low-level worker, he's like, ah, here we go. Turns out three of the 100 are made of broken glass and sandpaper. His boss is like, hey, did you hit your quota? He's like, yeah, fucking did it. 100, 100 dildos. And he looks and he's like, oh shit, three of these are sandpaper and glass. Well, he knows if he tells his boss, his boss could yell at him. And so on and so on. So everybody's like, hey, this is fine. This is how it goes. And they ship you, the consumer, the sandpaper and glass dildo. And you're like, thank God I didn't get one of those silicon models because I want to feel something. But, you know, most of the times it doesn't work out for everybody. That's what, I'm, that's, that's the point. Yeah. 
I never had a dad, so uh, somehow this replaces that in my heart and in my butt. <laughs> well, anyway, when Victor Brukhanov went to turn in his two-week notice, the Ministry of Energy official he reported to tore it up and told him to get back to work. He didn't want Brukhanov to make him look bad. So old Victor went back to Chernobyl and got back to work. Rolled up his sleeves, said, this is fucking work time, here we go. And they put that song working for the weekend, did a montage, and he got the first reactor built and running by 1977. And by 1986, the Chernobyl plant had four fully functional 4,000 megawatt RBMK reactors. Woo! Fucking did it! Yes! Hard work and perseverance, motherfuckers. And to top it all off, the city of Pripyat was a communist jewel. If you lived and worked there, you had access to fresh pork, veal, cucumbers, tomatoes, and five, count them, five types of sausage. God damn. God bless the USSR. I don't know their, their national anthem, but it was pretty cool. It was a pretty cool national anthem. Did you want French perfume or Austrian furniture, but you live in Kiev? Fuck you, there's a waiting list. Want those things in Pripyat? Oh, just stroll on down to the local department store. The city had a movie theater, a music school, a beauty parlor, and a yacht club. They weren't on the ocean, but they had, a, I guess, they had the cooling ponds from the nuclear plant that they went and took their yacht club out to. Just a yacht fill up the entire pond? Yeah, just playing a yacht rock song the whole time. And some, who's gonna drive you home tonight? There's dancing cheek to cheek. I think it was Boats and Hose by Lonely Island, actually. <laughs> it was just one yacht, and a guy like made a yacht club. That's yeah. how he got friends. <laughs> I'm the president! Yeah, he was a very uh, ill-adjusted man. So if you wanted to be in the yacht club, hey, come aboard my yacht, and I'm the president. But everybody's like, yeah, okay, figurehead. <laughs> <laughs> We're the yacht club. We're the real yacht club. I don't care that he keeps giving these roofy coladas and I keep waking up not knowing what happened. We're running this. We're the proletariat of this yacht club. That's right. The plant and the city were both such prestigious places that people studied nuclear energy just for the slight chance they'd be sent there to work. Yes, they were dying to get in. Later, they'd be dying to get out. <laughs> Now, all that sounds really great, but let's not pretend that Viktor Brukhanov was some sort of hero that had overcome shitty odds to build a paradise. He was anything but immune to the Soviet system. Couldn't find the fireproof cables required by the plant's blueprints? Fuck them. Just use regular cables. Keep building. Can't get fire-retardant materials for the roof of the nuclear turbines? Fuck it. Let's use incredibly flammable, also super cheap, bitumen instead. What's that, leader of the local communist party? You want us to build an Olympic-sized swimming pool for the residents despite guidelines that say those should only be built in cities of a million of people or more? Fuck it. I'll commit fraud against the state bank and find the funds. Oh, what's this, you say? What is this small detail? I need to do a shutdown test on Reactor 4 by the end of 1983 or I won't get my bonus? <laughs> well, let's just say we did it and postponed the whole thing. As a middle manager, he's kind of my hero. Yeah, whatever. Get it done. 
Another issue was actually staffing the plant. The Soviets were so preoccupied with making things massive, they sent 50,000-ish people to live in Pripyat. 25,000 of them worked in construction. After all, they were in the process of building reactors 5 and 6. And a few thousand worked at the electric company, or the school, or the hospital. But the rest worked at the plant. And there just wasn't enough work to go around, so they sat around and played cards or read books. It's like The Simpsons, you know? Yeah. That's all I had. (laughs) (laughs) There's a nuclear plant in that, too. Yeah. Nailed it. Mm. Right, guys? Wolf dick, scoreboard, please. (laughs) Yes, Greg won. (laughs) All of the listeners, zero. I win. (laughs) What do I win? The panties grand prize. Thank you. Chris, continue. Well, to top it all off, the chief engineer of the plant was Nikolai Fomin, who had been selected because he was the plant's Communist Party leader and had learned everything he knew about nuclear physics through a correspondence class. Yes, Chris, and little known fact, most of the workers at Chernobyl knew almost nothing about radiation or nuclear energy. They were told that radiation was so safe that you could spread it on bread and eat it, and that the nuclear power plant was less complicated than the typical power plants of the Soviet Union. Some citizens of Pripyat even had glowing drinkware that they said they dipped in the plant's used coolant pond. Okay, you guys ready? Because it's time... To teach you about nuclear power. (laughs) And I am obviously an expert on this field, so I'll try and dumb it down for you idiots. Just so you can understand the things that I didn't have to read four times in this book to comprehend. (laughs) Like, that didn't happen. First, radiation occurs when an unstable element, like uranium-235, decides that its atoms have too many damn neutrons and start ditching them like prom night dumpster babies. They fly off in a wave pattern as either alpha, beta, or gamma radiation. Now all of those fuck people up if they get inside their bodies, but gamma is by far the worst. And all these atoms are tossing off their neutrons, and the neutrons collide with other atoms and cause them to lose their neutrons and split into two different atoms, and that's what we call a chain reaction. And all these reactions put off a lot of energy in the form of heat. In a nuclear weapon, the whole thing is designed to set off the chain reaction all at once and release every bit of that energy onto an unsuspecting Japanese harbor so that 80 years later, 14-year-olds on the internet can debate whether or not that was a war crime. (laughs) Idiots. (laughs) Totally wasn't. Grow the fuck up, kids. However, to produce nuclear energy, the whole thing is regulated and controlled so that the reactions move slower, produce heat, which turns water into steam, which powers a turbine, which creates electricity. All that is to say, you have to control the speed of the reaction by applying things that work like gas and things that work like brakes. Gotta speed it up, slow it down. Gotta regulate that thing. Americans use water to regulate the reaction in their plants, so if something goes wrong and all the water boils off, the reaction will slow and everything will be fixed. Like my dog. Fixed. Oh, I thought you were saying it was slow. Like you had a mentally handicapped dog. No, and but like my no, my dog, I mean like my homie. Oh. <laughs> but one of my uh buddies I grew up with, he was castrated oh. at a very young age. Mm. His family didn't believe in baptism, but castration on the other hand. 
He's what you uh, call colloquially a eunuch. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, I'm it's not sorry. a very happy topic. I'm sorry that I brought it up. <laughs> Can we please get back to people dying of radiation? He's got Can a do great Freddie Mercury like karaoke voice, though. Yeah, you, you gotta, gotta see this dude or friend. Eunuch. Yeah. Friend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, unlike the Americans, the Soviets used graphite in water, which, and I'm an obvious expert on this, made them fucking stupid. Graphite sped up the reaction, and water slowed it. So if all the water boils off, the graphite would keep the reaction going, and there wouldn't be any way to slow it, so it continues to race out of control until it can't be contained. But I'm sure that'll never, ever happen, specifically not in this very <laughs> history podcast episode. <laughs> no. No, they know what they're doing. In the Soviet Union, they got this shit figured out. We're talking about professionals, yeah. after all. Yeah, something that definitely didn't fall apart five years after the event in this podcast. Never happened. Mm-mm. Oh, actually, I mean, Vlad Putin's trying to bring it back, so whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> It may work out for him. I won't disparage that man. No, I won't either. I want to live. Now, the Soviets actually did realize the drawback of their system, so they also included control rods made out of boron that could be inserted between the columns of graphite channels. The operators just had to manage 200 of these rods at a time across a reactor that contained 1,600 fuel channels and was roughly the size of a two-story home. But if things got really hairy they could hit the AZ-5 button, which inserted all the rods into the reactor at once, effectively shutting it down. But the Soviets were worried that doing so would cause too big of a power outage, so they made the whole process of inserting those rods take about 20 seconds. Oh, and each one had a graphite tip, which would keep the reactions going just a teensy bit longer. For her pleasure. (laughs) Baby, I'm all tip. Keep that reaction just... Going strong. Like this graphite rod? I put on a graphite tip. And it's ribbed. (laughs) Oh, uh, thanks, man. Oh, you got it, baby. Yeah. And just like these rods, I'm soft in the middle, so when you hit that boron, it slows things down a little bit. It just starts wobbling in there. Okay. (laughs) Bringing it back to the science, Craig. Gotta make them understand using analogies. Gotcha. Now, if you understand all of that, how the graphite speeds things up, how they need the water, all of that, you might be saying, how could they not foresee problems? Oh, you sweet, sweet, innocent summer child. You sweet, clean, <sighs> untested summer child. <sighs> they totally did! Calculations showed that if just three or four of the 1,600 channels failed, it would result in a catastrophic explosion. When one scientist saw the plans, he said it was inherently prone to explosion. Uh, For his bravery and his insight, he was promptly fired. Rather than build one and actually test it, the Soviets just decided to build them. See what happened. Let's fucking go. Ain't got no time for this bullshit. This is capitalism, baby. Wait, that's not right. No. No. Uh, anyway. Not at all. They soon learned that the longer the reactors ran, the harder they became to control, 
and minor accidents occurred all throughout the USSR. The Soviet Scientific Research and Design Institute for Power Technology said, I need a shorter name! And they also said, accidents weren't just possible, but were likely in the course of everyday operation. For some reason, everyone at that, that particular institute speaks with an Italian accent. Hey, I need a shorter name. That's, that's how I did that. They had like a, a good pizza joint on <laughs> campus. <laughs> they did. And there was nothing else, so they all got like super into it. Yeah. Basically cosplayed as Italians. Yeah. It was very, it's almost racist the way they did it. But what else are you going to do when you have that $5 hot and ready pizza available after class? You can just walk up and get it. Oh, Chris, I forgot to tell you. Huh? Now we have a cease and desist. Oh, <laughs> you mean don't desist. <laughs> they went from uh, advertising to making sure we do not ever evoke their name. <laughs> I'm sorry. God damn it. That, we just, that keeps happening to us for some yeah, reason. You know, it's, I feel it's business, persecuted. You, know? you just, you just got to go on to the next one. Almost like my actions have consequences. This is horseshit. I don't think that's it. I just, you know, <laughs> it's the cost of doing business, okay? Anyway, maybe it was best said by the former naval nuclear engineer as he sat down at the Chernobyl control panel and said, How can you possibly control this hulking piece of shit? And what is it doing in civilian use? You just see me, like, covering my privates and my nipples after he says that, like... <laughs> <laughs> running out of the room. <laughs> this hulking piece of shit. Yeah, all the, all the plan operators looking ashamed. I'm just, oh! <laughs> no one can control me! <laughs> I was actually designated for military use only. <laughs> no civilian use. No, no. <laughs> Stupid. It's communism, man. <laughs> We're all uh, the proletariats, and you're given that job. Yep. The moment they saw me in primary school, they're like, oh, we know you're going to be. That's a military hulking piece of shit right there, if I ever saw one. You're going to pass him around the barracks. <laughs> Desert Queen, we sent him to Afghanistan, boys. Get this man fitted for panties. <laughs> sir, I brought my grandma, sir. <laughs> I'm glad we're keeping it PG for the new listener this week. Oh, boy. Somebody's like, I just really wanted to learn about Chernobyl, but God damn it, I'm hard right now. And you will starting now again. <laughs> I learned so much about my sexuality this week. <laughs> well, none of the failings of the RBMK reactor were passed on to the plant operators and engineers, such as Viktor Brukhanov or Nikolai Fomin. Some of the information was buried in manuals that no one would read, but for the most part, the Soviet government said, Sure, it might blow up, but bro, you could get hit by a bus like tomorrow, so YOLO! Six Flags Dancing Guy song. Whatever that song is. You have the worst Russian accent. <laughs> I thought I nailed that shit. <laughs> Better than the guys in the HBO miniseries. Suck my dick, Jared Harris. Academy Award-winning Jared Harris. <laughs> You're so much better than him at acting. Yes, thank you. Thank you. But quietly, they began updating and improving reactors as they came offline. 
At Chernobyl, reactors 1 through 3 had already been improved, and reactor 4 was set to come offline at the end of its three-year cycle in April of 1986. Ooh, but that was a cranky reactor. <laughs> I thought a one-week cycle was enough. Jesus. Yeah. Three years. You can tell me your wife's been on like an 18-month cycle. Yeah, but three years, dude. <laughs> Double that. Yeah. Fucking crazy. Impossible. I mean, I think it's been like 21, 22 months at this point. Yeah. She hadn't let me have sex or, you know, and she's also been extra cranky, but <laughs> it's not going to hit three years. <laughs> no fucking way. Yeah. That's no. ridiculous. Yeah. This fucking COVID shutdown has to end at some point, right? Right? Yeah. She's eventually going to take that mask off. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're a girl. Ew. Ew. Where's no, your mustache? Her panty mask. Oh, that one. And I'll take my panty mask off. <laughs> the fuck boys and girls are going to do boys and girl things, all right? Yep. You know what? This is private bedroom talk. I'm oh, sorry. Hopefully in the future, so continue with Chernobyl. Jeez. Well, that January 1986, the Ukrainian Minister of Energy and Electrification... It's a stupid fucking title. They just give themselves the dumbest fucking titles and expect me to say it 35 years later. Assholes. Electrification? Yeah, that. That guy was asked about a possible nuclear meltdown. He said the odds were 1 in 10,000 years, which is a very weird way to phrase that. Why pick years? It's 1 in 10,000 eclairs. (laughs) I do not know why I have this vaguely Germanic accent, (laughs) but it is 1 in 10,000 eclairs. You know what? He still may be right, 1 in 10,000 years. We just didn't make it like another 9,060 years, and we fucking nailed this shit. Wait, 9,960. I'm good at math. Fuck you. Fuck you. I mean, I think we will. I don't think uh, that plant is coming online anytime soon. You never know. I mean, not to to spoil the story. Sorry. Yeah. We'll see what happens. We'll see. Now, you might remember earlier, before I started talking about science and uh, drained all of you of your life force... I also mentioned that back in 1983, the head of the Chernobyl plant, Viktor Brukhanov, had skipped a crucial test. Well, on April 25th, 1986, the chief engineer, Nikolai Fulman, decided it was go time without bothering to tell Brukhanov about it at all. Whatever. Here's my boss. You don't even know this shit. Hey, boss, I decided to fire all the nukes in America. What you think about that, you fucking idiot? (sighs) Now I gotta say it's a good idea. That's smart. I wouldn't say I've been missing it, Bob. (laughs) The whole purpose of the test was to simulate a complete loss of electrical power. Without power, the pumps that controlled the cooling water wouldn't function, and like we said in an RBMK reactor, no water mean big boom. They had backup generators, but those took about a minute to get up to speed. So the theory was that the steam remaining in the system would power the turbine and keep the water pumping until the generator could kick on. Now that might sound dangerous. Let's let's just turn everything off and see what the fuck happens. Stop pumping water in there. 
but it was done at a low power level, and they had successfully performed it on every RBMK reactor in the USSR, except for reactor number four at Chernobyl. The reactor was set to be tested and then shut down on the afternoon of Friday, April 25th. But the guy running the electrical grid in nearby Kiev was worried the loss of power would result in a loss of worker productivity. And since everyone got the rewards and bonuses on May 1st, known as the communist holiday May Day, they wanted everyone working as hard as they could. <laughs> May Day. It would be. Yeah, because yeah, that's what you say when your plane's going down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or your nuclear plant is, I don't know, maybe being successful or we don't maybe know. not. We'll, we'll, we'll see in this story. <laughs> I don't know what happens. Insert panties joke. Go, Chris. <laughs> well, because of that delay, the test was taken out of the hands of the experienced and knowledgeable day shift and given to the rookies working overnights. How rookie were they, you ask? Well, they were so rookie, the man who would be shutting down the reactor was Leonid Toptanov, who had worked at the plant for a total of two months and had never, ever, ever shut down a nuclear reactor. Well, I'm sure he had, you know, at least trained for it, you know, uh, done it in a simulated environment. Continue your sentence. Okay, not even in a simulated environment. Oh. Yeah, they didn't have computer simulators in Russia in those days. You had fucking buttons that did things or didn't do things. (laughs) Simulated environment. Right? Idiot. (laughs) Well, with all that said, what could possibly go wrong? I don't know. You don't know, listener. We don't know what's going to happen to this fucking reactor. Greg knows. And I think he's going to tell us here in a little bit. Uh, I'm going to have to look it up on the break, not going to lie. Oh, thank God. Let's take a a two-week break so Greg can read the book, and we will be right back. Goodbye. We're back from break. Had a good one. Greg finally found out what happens at Chernobyl, and he looks very sad for some reason, but, uh, you know, we won't get into that right now. We'll explain why. His wife left him. But also, what's about to happen is very, very sad. (laughs) But, uh, you know, before we get into that, you know, we, we do have this tradition. New listener, new PG listener, who's just, like, barely hanging on. About to have a nervous breakdown, you know, just like, oh my god, I've never heard such vulgarity, but I'm I'm so wrapped up in this story, I can't stop, I can't stop. They're driving, they're on a family road trip, mom and dad are in the car, it's like their first road trip is, the listener has turned into an adult. I'm like, oh, you, you want to hear some history? Oh, what about Chernobyl? We just watched that HBO miniseries. Well, here, let's look for a podcast. Uh, you guys were asking about podcasts. Let me show them to you. <laughs> and they're playing it, and they're just fucking like, all right, it'll get better at any moment. And the uh, the grave is so deep at this point that they're just like white-knuckling the steering wheel like, fuck. They don't want to acknowledge it, you know? It's like a sex scene mm-hmm. in a movie you're watching with your parents. You just 
fuck, just stare straight ahead. Like, God, 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 stop, 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 stop. <laughs> they were doing that for like 40 minutes already. Yeah. But then they look in the rearview mirror and they see mom and dad just going at it. And dad's wearing grandma's panties. He's like, yes, finally we relate to you, son. <laughs> They're both in the back seat? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What, what is the son an Uber driver? <laughs> no, his wife is sitting in the front seat just silently judging him. Oh, this this marriage is over? No, she's she's just straight swiping right over and over. <laughs> <laughs> Not even looking at profiles, just swipe, 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 swipe. <laughs> no, I'm just watching TikTok. Ooh, Derek, how are you doing? <laughs> swipe right. <laughs> no... Thank you guys for sticking around. The ending of the story is pretty fucking crazy, so we're glad you're here. But before we do the end of the story, before we do the second half of the story, we have a little tradition on the show. We've had a lot of whiskey, but now it's time for the second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. And a three, two, one. Simultaneous ejaculation. Not bad. Got the Bud Light Cola variety. One that's pretty good. Nobody cares. They do. I won't they even do. mention mine. That's why they, this is the whole reason they tuned in. Like, you can look <laughs> at our stats and it just, right there. Like, okay, I know what they're drinking now. I can go to the store. <laughs> Got the shit. Well, Gregory... Now that you know the second half of the story, are you ready to tell it to the humans? Let them know what happens. Well, it is my charge, and I will uphold it. Oh, it sounds so fucking regal. God damn. That's, that's just badass. That's just a badass way of saying that. That's why they call me Gregory, and not Greg. It's very regal sounding, you know? <laughs> you should see the lace on these panties. <laughs> it's, it's like a so doily. Well, uh, my grandmother's Greek. She put it under the VCR. (laughs) (laughs) Grandma, what is that under the VCR? Why is it so stained? Oh, it's just antique. Just been there a while. (laughs) And don't ask any questions. (laughs) Well, okay. I guess I'm going to go out back and swim in the birthing pool. (laughs) What? What? Your grandma didn't have a birthing pool? No, no. No, she just had the fuck pool. Like a normal grandma. Oh, the jacuzzi. Oh, yeah. That's what that's what you English call it. Yes, okay. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> oh, this is a terrible podcast. Continue. I'm sorry. I didn't... Yeah, it's bad. <clears throat> well, at around midnight on April 26th, 1986, the night shift arrived in the Reactor 4 control room at Chernobyl, unaware that they were going to have to perform the shutdown test that had been scheduled for the prior afternoon. The man overseeing the reactor shutdown test was hard-ass commie Anatoly Dyatlov, who actually had some nuclear experience from his days in the Navy. Unfortunately, that is also where he learned his leadership skills. He treated everyone like shit, constantly cursed at them, and referred to the night shift rookies he supervised as Fucking good fish. Ted Lasso is so pissed right now. He's like, that's the best animal. Because it's got a 10 second memory. Set off a nuclear reactor? Man, just move on. Just move on with your life. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff happens. You know? 
It's like my dad always told me, folksy wisdom. That's all I got. I don't actually have folksy wisdom. My dad never passed that on to me. But that's what Ted Lasso would say. Ted Lasso is, you know, is unfortunate as he is at times. Should consider himself fortunate. I mean, the only thing my grandma gave to me was some regal panties, and the only thing my dad gave to me was HPV, so. <laughs> Let's not even talk about my uncle. <laughs> when they arrived that night, the day shift had dropped their reactor power from 4,000 megawatts down to 700, but that wasn't good enough for Dietlov, who ordered it to be lowered down to 200. His second in command, Alexander Akimov protested, saying the manual said it shouldn't dip below 700, but Dyatlov called Akimov a little whiny bitch and did that demeaning thing where he says, But the manual said it shouldn't dip below 700, in a, you know, patronizing voice. So Akimov gave Leona Tiptunov the order to dip the power. And, you know, I'm sorry for all the names, but, you know, just, it doesn't matter. You can still get this abstract story yeah, without knowing these people. Before names. the break, we told you uh, Topsinov. He was the guy who had never shut down a reactor before. And they're like, hey, <laughs> you know what's up? Hey, welcome to work today. You're going to shut down a reactor. And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. No problem, guys. Um, is it too late to take a sick day? <laughs> <laughs> In communist USSR? Yeah. Yes. There were no sick days. No. There were no sick days. I'm sorry. Well, the, the problem here was that Tuptunov didn't know what he was doing and forgot to turn off the automatic systems. So when he turned down the power, the computer assumed he just wanted it off and kept lowering the reaction until 12.28 a.m. when it set at a measly 30 megawatts. Dyatlov lost his fucking shit and yelled at them to get the power levels back up. Tuptunov and his fellow engineers began removing the control rods from the reactor. We talked about this, the, the ones made out of boron that slow down the chain reaction and keep it from getting too hot. Yeah, they removed those. By 1 a.m. of the 211 control rods in reactor 4, Tuptunov had removed 203 of them from the reactor, and in doing so, he had coaxed the power back up to 200 megawatts. Good number. But the reactor was in an incredibly unstable state. Most of the men in the room were nervous about what was going on, but Dyatlov seemed bored. And at 1.22 a.m., he said, What are you waiting for? And gave the order to shut off power to the cooling pumps. Inside the reactor, the reaction grew hotter and hotter and continued to burn off the water that slowed the reaction and created steam, which only made it hotter, which then, of course, only made the water burn off faster. But in the control room, Everything seemed to be going as it should, and it looked as if Reactor 4 could survive a loss of electrical power. Dyatlov calmly told Toptonov to hit the AZ-5 button and shut down the reactor entirely. As the boron control rods re-entered the reactor, their graphite-covered tips, if you remember we kind of talked about those, instantly spiked reactivity levels that were a hundred times the maximum that the reactor could handle. The graphite channels fractured and burst. Steam filled the entire reactor as water instantly evaporated. And you have to keep in mind here, like a lot of people are like, what, what do you mean? You know, it's just water turning into steam. What's the big deal? Well, the volume of water expands 1,700 times 
when it's converted to steam. That's huge. And that's how this whole reaction happens is, boom, this water's then converted to steam. You have this massive expansion, and the steam, of course, rises, goes up the reactor, turns a turbine, and that's what's creating the electricity. So that's a big deal when it's expanding that much that quickly. Like you said earlier, it creates so much heat that whatever water is remaining becomes steam, and it just compounds the problem, you know, like a... Uh, a vicious cycle. Just water becomes steam, steam creates heat, heat creates more steam. Oh, definitely. It's very symbiotic. Yeah. And it just plays on itself over and over and over and gets out of control. Yeah. If there's nothing to stop it from doing so. Like me, I feel like I would have superpowers in this scenario, but I was only like five at this time, so yeah. those powers hadn't developed. Uh, what were you saying, Chris? I was just going to say, and that's one of the things we talked about earlier. It was an American reactor. The water is the regulator instead of the graphite. So if this happened in an American reactor, the water would just boil off and you wouldn't have anything helping to create the reaction. So you wouldn't have this massive... You wouldn't have the catalyst that remained after right. the coolant was gone, which seems so stupid in design, right? Yeah. It's, it's all gas, no brakes at this point. That's what it's yeah. become. I'm just, you know, I'm a dumb podcaster, so I don't, of course, know the intricacies of the science here, but uh, on the surface and researching it like we have, this design seems very dumb. It was cheap, and you could make it big, and that's what the Russians loved at that time. You know, just make it bigger than what the West could do. And it did. It produced more energy than the West could produce, but, you know, it's also, it's like saying, you know, a runaway train produces more energy than the fucking light rail. Yeah, you're right. 100%. Congratulations. You know, control it now, you fucking assholes. Yeah, and runaway train ain't never coming back. No. One way down a wrong way track. Hmm. Soul sound. Bet you all those kids are dead now. From the video? All those actors, they're probably dead. <laughs> Well, the 2,000-ton lid of the reactor was tossed aside, and the reactor was now burning at 12,000 megawatts, igniting the oxygen and hydrogen in the space outside the reactor. An explosion equal to 60 tons of TNT ripped open the reactor, tore a hole in the plant, and exploded through the concrete roof. Valery Kodomchuk, who was working by the main circulation pumps, was either instantly vaporized or crushed by debris and became the first to die as a result of the Chernobyl explosion. Why we have not launched a full investigation to find out what happened to this man is a disgrace to the United States of America. Was he vaporized? Was he crushed? We need to know. What is Joe Biden hiding? Sorry, I'm doing my Fox News audition. I'm just trying to get bigger than this fucking podcast. I think the obvious answer is... Hunter Biden's laptop. That's right. Whatever happened to that thing? Nothing. Don't worry about it. Let's move on. It was no another boogeyman? Oh, no fuck. big deal. So many, so no many boogeymen. No big deal. You should see how short my nails are from all these boogeymen that I'm <laughs> worrying myself. Jeez. Radioactive particles were tossed into the atmosphere, and about 30 tons of burning graphite and uranium was tossed onto the plant around the exposed reactor which had turned into an inferno in the night air. The alarm bells at paramilitary fire station number two sounded, and firefighters rushed to the scene. 
Despite being stationed near the nuclear plant, they had basically zero training in dealing with radioactive materials and only wore standard firefighting gear. That's so fucking frustrating. Just reading that, even in the shit-ass HBO documentary, or documentary, miniseries on Chernobyl, you see them go out there with no gear and picking up the graphite because they've never been trained to deal with any of this shit. It's so fucking disheartening because you just know they're all dead. There's some survivors. Very few in this way. But, you know, I, I bet September 11th, 2001, they were watching TV and they're like, fuck, fuck. Now nobody's going to give a shit about what I did. <laughs> I'm going to care about those firefighters. It's bullshit. Those 343 brave men. Fuck. Oh, they can see the plane crashing into the building? Can you see radiation? Nope. But nobody gives a fuck now, do they? <laughs> I felt like mine was already pushing the envelope. <laughs> <laughs> see, I just pawned it off on you. I just I, I'm pawning it off on the Russians who are saying this thing that I, I oh, just yeah. said. They have no feelings. They have none. Inside the plant, Dyatlov ordered two men to climb on top of the reactor and to force the control rods into the channels by hand. He then began ordering Akimov and Toptonov to pump as much water as they could into the reactor. Alexander Yuvchenko was sent to survey the reactor from the ground. He soon made his way there and saw a blue beam of ionized air stretching into the sky. He knew what Dyatlov didn't. The reactor... It was completely gone. The two men that Dyatlov sent to push down the rods stepped out onto a ledge and could look straight down into the burning reactor. They spent less than a minute on that ledge, but it was enough to give them a fatal dose of radiation. On the ground below them, firefighters rushed to put water and foam onto the burning wreckage, unknowingly stepping over radioactive chunks of graphite. A fatal dose of radiation is measured at 500 rentgen per hour. In the early hours of April 26, there were areas where men were bombarded with 8,000 rentgen per hour. Viktor Brukhanov was awakened at 2 a.m. by a call informing him of the explosion. As he arrived on scene, his very first thought was, I am going to prison. Yeah, was it? Oh, my workers are okay. What are they doing? Those firefighters, look at them, over there wearing their fucking t-shirts, you know? Khaki shorts and flip-flops just spraying out this fucking fire. Ah, they're fine. I'm going to jail, though. Fuck! Fuck! They're in their old Navy fighting gear. Yeah. He's like, God damn it. I, I've rolled three doubles in a row. I'm going straight to jail. This is bullshit. Bullshit! <laughs> I do not even have get-out-of-jail-free card. No, uh, dude. The cogs in the machine don't care about the other cogs. No, they do not. It is the very top that gives a shit in communism. And in capitalism, too, but very much in communism, because there's only, like, one machine. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Like, there's only, like, it all goes straight to the government, so they're the only ones that give a shit, and they're the only ones that win this whole thing. That's what Q said, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Any day now, Hillary's getting arrested. Any day now. It's coming. She's going to get it. Well, instead of immediately going to jail, he went to a bunker below the plant, designed to be safe from radioactivity, and he began to try and find out what had happened. One of his nuclear safety experts said the radiation wasn't that bad, just 13 micro per hour, and the stuff in the air was just noble gases burning off. A giant fucking blue... <laughs> yeah, just, 
cone coming out of the (laughs) reactor site. Oh, you know, it's regular old noble gases. Yeah. When you were a kid, were you obsessed with that too? Where you turn on a flashlight and shine up in the sky and you're like, it goes on forever. Like you could see the beam going all the way up to space. Was that just me? I'm just the weirdo that was alone. I couldn't see it going all the way up to space. I mean, it just kept going forever. Just it was up in the sky, but you were too busy having sex with girls and stuff to notice that kind of thing. Girls. (laughs) (laughs) At least tell me you did the thing where you put your finger on top of it, so you could see the glow through your fingernail. You're like, oh, look how cool that is. My fingers. Oh yeah, I'm I'm fucking ET. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. I'm not entirely alone. I mean, no, not yeah. at all. Oh, um, you are now, but you're not in that in that thought. Now, when I was 17 and finger banging a flashlight, and you were finger banging all those girls. Yes, I understand. I was alone at that point. Yes. Yes. Girls. <laughs> <laughs> well, when another expert showed up with a better dosimeter and said, "Yeah, it got up to about 200 rentgen before I freaked the fuck out." And decided to come find you. Brukhanov told him to get the fuck out. Because his instrument was obviously broken. What an idiot. No, man. <laughs> you, need to, you need to start looking at these alternative facts, okay? And that's one of the things on the HBO series. They try and pin that on Dyatlov. And he's like, oh, the Rintgen says it's 3.6 per hour. And that's the maximum their dosimeters would say. All that shit. He never said that shit. But... It kind of did happen with Rukhanov, where he's like, oh, this guy says it's that bad, but this guy says it's fucking awful. I'm going to believe the guy who says it's good. You know, fuck everybody else. You know, because that's like we said in the beginning, you wanted to just report good news up the chain. It's like, ah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. reactor exploded, but it's not that bad. Let's, let's If you rank- get three things, three variations... Of news, mm-hmm. you know, in, in this society. Yeah. A bad, a good, and something in the middle. It's probably l- more likely, you know, there's something in the middle. Yeah. But in uh, the USSR, you're going to just hope and pray and claim <laughs> the best. Oh, it's the and best. And pass yeah. it on up the chain. Yeah, baby, it's six inches. Like, well, we measured it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I measure from my asshole to an inch past the tip. But eh, it's six inches. I'm sorry, is that an American ruler? You fucking capitalist pig. Well, despite the fantastic news being passed up the chain, men from the plant, including Dyatlov, Toptunov, and Akimov, as well as several firefighters, began feeling weak. They vomited until their stomachs were empty, and then they dry heaved constantly. 100 Proof History. (laughs) Thank you, Dan. Their skin looked as if they had been elected the 45th president of the United States and needed to pretend like they had a healthy, natural tan. (laughs) They were taken to the nearby hospital in Pripyat, which was ill-equipped to deal with so many casualties. Once there, they were isolated, stripped naked, and scrubbed in an effort to remove the radiation from their skin, but for several of the men, it was too late. They were already suffering from acute radiation syndrome and most of them had received enough radiation to guarantee they would die. And uh, just a side note, radiation doesn't really kill you from being on you. It's those particles get in you, and they get trapped, and they just poison you until you're dead. And there's really nothing you can do about it. And that's what radiation does. It targets like 
sensitive things like the thyroid or the bone marrow. Most of these guys didn't even realize they were sick. There was no outward sign of illness, uh, maybe a little bit of like redness on their skin, but uh, inside they were dying. And it, the crazy thing about this, the ARS, is later, like there would be sores that would pop up and they wouldn't heal and they'd spread. Like, like the skin was burned and these guys were like, what the fuck is happening? But in the hours, days and weeks that it followed that, they, they began to die off because they couldn't fight off infection anymore because the radiation just destroyed their immune system. Yeah. And, you know, that's part of the thing that's really sad about it is there wasn't like this sudden traumatic event yeah. that you could point to, like getting in a car wreck or getting shot or something like that. It was something that happened that they didn't realize at the time was going to cause this degradation inside of them to where they were just going to get sick and die and there was nothing that could be done about it. Yeah, and that's one of the the crazy things about that Voices of Chernobyl book that I was talking about. You have, this is probably 10 years after the fact, you have people talking about how their skin's turning black and they're sick all the time and none of those will be counted as deaths from Chernobyl by the Russians or the Soviet Union or anything like that. They're like, it, it had to happen right then, or it didn't count. Yes. Early in the morning, Moscow got word of the disaster after Brukhanov sent them a message that undoubtedly started with the words, Okay, don't freak out, but... I want to suck your blood. Sorry, that was your, that's your Russian. Uh, it's way better than yours. Your sounds like a <laughs> malfunctioning fucking robot. <laughs> In response, Moscow sent several men to the location, both from the political spectrum and the scientific spectrum. And from the autistic spectrum. Fucking got you, wolf dick, you piece of shit. <laughs> you did get him. Yeah. He does produce this show. He, he can fire you. He can control everything I say. And fire you. He could say, I am gay for penis, and I couldn't do anything to control him. I couldn't stop it. And fired you. And it, it would just be out there, and my wife could hear it and be like, oh, I knew it. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Somehow I was outed. Damn you, wolf dick. You win this round, you sexy son of a bitch. That's true. Yeah. The man in charge of handling the situation was Boris Sherbina, a minister from the oil and construction industries. On the scientific side was Valery Legasov, who was a chemist from a noted family full of loyal communists. The first thing Sherbina did was order the KGB to isolate the city of Pripyat. No one in, no one out. All throughout his first day, people kept coming up to him and saying, Hey, that reactor is spewing a shitload of radiation into Pripyat. We should probably evacuate the city. At first, he thought they were all yellow-bellied cowards. But eventually he agreed, and on Sunday, April 27th, buses loaded up the citizens of Pripyat and drove them to various locations around Ukraine. Eventually, they would be allowed to return, but only for a few minutes so they could gather some belongings. For the loss of their homes and everything they owned, they would be given 4,000 rubles. For reference, in 1986, a new car cost about 5,000 rubles. <laughs> Stupid communist accepting such a tiny payment. At least when our economy was shut down and everything was going to shit, the government gave us that 1200 bucks. That was pretty sweet, right? 
It was pretty good. Dude, I was so fucking rich in that moment. (laughs) I was too. And I invested it in GME and I lost it all. God damn, why did I buy high? You didn't. It's coming any day now. Yep, any day. Any day. My one share is going to make me a fucking millionaire, baby. (laughs) Well, little known fact, the KGB was so secretive that photocopiers were almost impossible for regular businesses and people to access. Because of that, when deciding how to cordon off the city and how to evacuate the citizens, the KGB had to enlist the help of Maria Protsinko, who was the primary architect of Pripyat, and she had spent the majority of the 26th and 27th of April 1986 hand-drawing maps of the city and personally guiding the 2,000 buses out of Pripyat. And for that, she is our 100 Proof History Listener of the Week. I salute you, Maria. Hmm. No Maria on the Patreon. (laughs) I don't salute you. She's probably dead. If she's not, hit me up, girl. Hit me up with those. She should have started that fucking Patreon membership first. (laughs) It could be going in perpetuity. Posthumous Patreon. That's the... That's the ticket, Chris. <laughs> it really is. You get that uh, posthumous Patreon. Yeah. It takes a while for the family and like the the estate to be like, no, 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 no. We need to cancel these subscriptions. Yeah, you know, you every know? year, every year we do the serial killer episodes for our Halloween episode. Like it's gonna we, be us killing fucking current patrons. Yeah, it's gonna, be, it's gonna be like a bunch of dead Patreon listeners and Greg nervously laughing for two hours. <laughs> It'll be all muffled, though. Yeah. <laughs> Not because I'm wearing a mask. No, no. Yeah? Because I put the panties on my head. <laughs> all those Patreon uh, donations. That'll afford me a lot of antique panties. <laughs> anyway, that joke's dead. <clears throat> Valery Legasov quickly realized that if the fires in Reactor 4 weren't put out, it would spread radiation across Eastern Europe. He and Sherbina came up with a plan to use helicopters to dump loads of sand on top of the fire in hopes of smothering it. Of course, the sand was from the nearby river and was bagged up by thousands of Ukrainians who were, you know, just being exposed to radiation all day. Fun little day at the beach. They're good. Hopefully they gave them all a little Playboy bunny thing, though. You know? <laughs> it's like a melting of their skin. Yes. But it would be very light under there. That's you true. Look, honey. <sighs> As they're melting into the <laughs> family rug. Baby, don't my three penises look great in this tan? <laughs> oh, and uh, later they'd realize that the sand did jack shit to put the fire out, and most of it missed its target anyway. Mm. But at least they also radiated the hell out of some helicopter crews while they were at it. Yes, did it. Yeah. Though a little more kindling into the fire. <laughs> By Sunday. Radioactive material had drifted all the way to Sweden, where nuclear physicists quickly realized it was coming from the Soviet Union. The jig was up. Communist Party Secretary Mikhail Gorbachev had to come clean. Sort of. Although he had promised to be more transparent with his people and with foreign governments, the old attitude of, The Soviet Union has never done anything wrong, continued to pop up and very little information was released. I feel like it's getting more Borat. That's the best one yet. (laughs) 
I may have been drinking the whole time, but I think that's the best one we've done. <laughs> she is so hot. My wife. <laughs> and when the United States offered to help, they were told to fuck off. Everything was under control. But at the plant, Valery Lagasov was very concerned. The temperatures and radiation readings were rising. Underneath the reactor was a maze of tunnels that had been filled with water from the firefighter hoses and also was full of pipes of water leading to the other reactors. He worried that if the core melted down to this water, it would set off another massive steam explosion that could possibly cause the other reactors to detonate as well. It's important to note here that no one knew what the fuck they were doing. They had no idea how this was going to work, and so they were kind of guessing at this point. So, like, the Gossop's like, oh, shit, if it touches that water, it might just instantly vaporize all of it, cause this massive explosion. Uh, it turns out he was really, really, really wrong about that, and, you know, we'll talk about that in a second, but at the same time, no one fucking knew. Like, even Western scientists wouldn't have any clue what was happening here. So I want to give them a little that was credit. A, that was the thing, is they didn't want to be overly alarmists, or even like regular alarmist, Yeah. until shit hit the fan, and now it's damage control. So yeah. now the best thing you can do is prevent this from getting worse. So now they're overly cautious. The pendulum swings, you know? That's funny. Yeah, that is true. Because before, like, oh, this thing might explode, but uh, what if it does? <laughs> I don't know. Fucking worry about that when it happens, right? <laughs> oh, shit, it happened. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. What do we do? What do we do? And that's kind of how they reacted to it. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. Well, the first thing they did was they sent a team of men working in 12-minute shifts to knock a hole in the basement walls to drain what water they could. You know, they all wore dosimeters mm -hmm. just to make sure that they weren't in there for too long. Uh, they were. <laughs> then, three engineers dressed in wetsuits waded through ankle-deep radioactive water to open the valves and drain the remaining water from under the reactor. For their work, they were given a reward and paid 1,000 rubles. Yes. Bro, that's like two and a half cars. Mm-hmm. For, you know, dying. <laughs> no, 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 no. These guys did great. They eventually died. Everybody eventually dies, Greg. You're going to be semantic about it. That is why no reward is worth anything. <laughs> if, dude, if I won that fucking Powerball the other day, you'd see me wipe my ass with it and be like, nothing is real. <laughs> You're fucking nihilist. Exactly. And be like, I believe in nothing, Lebowski. I'd be licking your shit off that ticket and cashing it in. Like, yes, please. Please. <laughs> All I want to do is podcast every day. How can I make that happen? <laughs> Find another fucking host. That's yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, miraculously, despite what I said, none of these men contracted ours, you know, acute radioactive syndrome. However, what no one knew was the reactor had already burned itself out. The heat and radiation increases were from the core hitting the water that had been down there and creating steam as it cooled off into a massive pile of radioactive lava known now as, quote, the elephant's foot. But the reactor was open in the sky and was still belching out radiation into the atmosphere. It was going to have to be covered, but first it had to be cleaned. 
The team tried to use robots, but the radiation fried their circuits. So they turned to bio-robots, which was a fancy term for an unsuspecting member of the army who was drafted to climb onto the reactor roof and dump shovels of radioactive graphite back into the reactor. Much cheaper. <laughs> so much, much cheaper. These robots are so great. Oh, these bio-robots, man. I have a wife and child. Kill it! <laughs> it's becoming self-aware, sir. <laughs> I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. Hey, man, as long as you get on that roof, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> well, Terminator 2 joke there for you guys. Yeah. Other members of the military were brought into the exclusion zone, which had been increased to 30 kilometers to hunt down and kill cats and dogs that were covered in radioactive dust. All of them were given a strict dosage limit of 25 rentgen, and most of them tried to hit that limit as quickly as possible so they could leave, but some lied about it so they could stay and help out. And let that be a lesson to you, listener. Don't, don't be the hero. Don't no. do the good thing. Mm -mm. These people weren't rewarded for that, for anything more than fucking dying. Minimum you know? requirements. Be, be like most of them. If you read the voices of Chernobyl, you'll find out most of them were drunk. As a skunk when they're out there hunting these dogs and cats and they fucking loved it. And they got their 25 runt gin and they went home. They said, it's over. I'm going home. The end. The end. Or you could you could be the guy that charges across no man's land in World War One. You could toss that grenade in the enemy trench. Take a couple people, you know, out as you get fucking gunned down. They got to pull your body out of barbed wire 10 days later. All right, hero, what'd mm -hmm. that get you? Nothing. Listen to me, listener. You fucking hide and you cower. And you survive. <laughs> That's what you do. Anyway, it was slow and dangerous work, but eventually the men were able to cover the reactor with a concrete sarcophagus. Viktor Brukhanov, Anatoly Dyatlov, and Nikolai Fomin were all arrested and put on show trial for the explosion. You know, think Judge Judy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really count. Everybody gets reimbursed, but not really. These guys got fucked. There's a big orgy after. Everybody gets balls deep in Judge Judy. It's like Judge Judy, but then she just gestures over to the bailiff like, all right, take care of it. Yep. And, and then he's, he's like, balls Fuck. deep in everybody. Oh, yeah. Again. <laughs> all right. Every... Everyone knew that the RBMK reactor was flawed, and accidents like this were unavoidable. But still people like Valery Lagasov and Boris Sherbina fell in line with what the Communist Party wanted and testified that the biggest problem was human error. All three were convicted and tossed in prison. And here's my big problem with the HBO series, and they make Lagasov and Sherbina out to be fucking heroes. Like, they stood up to communism, they told the truth... They put this stuff out there. They they saluted the American flag. They're like, yes, I'm standing up for what is right. I'm telling the truth about what happened at Chernobyl. And it didn't fucking happen. They both cowered to the Communist Party. They both said, uh, you know, yeah, there's some problems with the reactor, but uh, it's mostly these three dickheads' fault. They did that shit. And, uh, you know, they got to go on living their lives 
until <laughs> you know the radiation from hanging out in Chernobyl killed him. But they, uh, well, you know, it's not a big deal. It didn't happen. Well, I mean, sure, but you got to make good TV, right? You do. You have to make somebody the good guy and somebody the bad guy. You got to have that dichotomy. Yeah. You can't have these gray areas of life, man. You could dissect any movie, any TV show. None of it's going to be historically accurate. And if it is, it's probably fucking boring. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And it's true. The official death toll of Chernobyl sits at 31. Which, that might surprise you, listener. You probably thought it was like 10,000. But it's 31 because that's how many men died either in the explosion or of acute radiation syndrome within the days and weeks following the explosion. Several other workers who worked at the plant, or at the cleanup, like Dyatlov and Sherbina, would develop fatal cancers within a few years. Chris already spoiled that. Sorry. The UN estimates that 4,000 people have died from cancers caused by the disaster. Maybe a little biased news. (laughs) Yeah, fake fucking news. Whoa, I didn't say it. That's what you said. (laughs) In the end, Gorbachev would say he believed that the disaster caused the fall of the Soviet Union. And thank God it did, because now the people of Russia can live free and easy under... Hold on, let me check my notes. Vladimir Putin. Well, fuck. (laughs) End of story. Woo! Ric Flair woo because we did it. We told that story. Told the story of Chernobyl. There are so many facets to that story we couldn't touch because of the time limits, but I think we did it really well. Uh, I do recommend the books we mentioned in the intro, but, uh, you know, Greg, sometimes we, we finish these stories. You say end of story, and I feel like there's there's things. There's like four little things that just eat at me. Like, I wake up at three in the morning, I'm like, there's things we should have told them. And maybe we should do that now in a, a very brand new segment that I like to call Fast Facts. Never been done. Fast Fact number one. The Soviets were so enamored with nuclear power, they frequently abused it. They used radioactive gamma rays to extend the shelf life of chicken and strawberries. They built nuclear-powered tanks and aircraft. They even used nuclear weapons to dig caverns and put out large forest fires Because you can't have a forest fire if there is no forest. Tap in the forehead meme. Fast fact number two. Because the Soviets were so reluctant to release information about the disaster in Chernobyl, especially to the West, newspapers just made shit up, assuming it was worse than the Soviets were letting on. For instance, the New York Post headline on April 28th read, 2,000 die and nuke mare. By the end of the week, the Washington Post was reporting unconfirmed reports that 15,000 had died and were buried in secret mass graves. And, uh, side note, New York Post is fucking garbage. Fast fact number three. The clouds of radiation from Chernobyl spread throughout the Soviet Union, unbeknownst to most of the citizens. On May Day, the people of Kiev marched and celebrated under one such cloud, and the people of Belarus were very confused when one day a storm of black rain fell on their crops. 
Turns out that a radioactive cloud was heading for Moscow, so the Soviet Union seeded the cloud with sodium to turn it into rain before it could reach the capital. Fast fact number four. Engineers Leonid Tuptunov and Alexander Akimov died from radiation poisoning shortly after the explosion. That didn't stop the Soviets from posthumously charging them with crimes and accusing them of causing the explosion. It wasn't until 2008 when Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych recognized the heroic actions they took that night to try and stop the fires and save the plant. They and 12 other plant workers were given the Ukrainian Order for Courage. Third class? <laughs> All right. Well, we told that story. Told it well. Hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to find us at hunterproofhistory.com. There you'll find bios on us links to our social media, links to the Patreon where for just $3 a month, get early access to new episodes, a whole bunch of stuff that's not available to everyone else. If you don't feel like giving $3, which we could really use it, please give us $3. But if you don't feel like giving that, find us at 100proofhistory on social media. We post like memes and you know stuff related to the story, just having a good time, trying to relate to the the millennials and the Gen Zers and stuff like that, trying to get their money too. So, might be a weenie pick. You know, <laughs> uh, you never know. Tune in and find out. Until then, I thank you guys for listening. I am your sexiest of co-hosts, Christopher, for Dan the Intro Man, and I guess Wolf Dick. Fuck that guy, but uh, I guess he's a part of the show now. Wolf Dick, we thank you for listening. I ask you, main host, the glue that holds this whole thing together, Greg, what else? Well, dude, as you know, you know, <laughs> we've been talking about Grandma's panties all episodes, so I've just been handling them a lot, and, <laughs> um, yeah, that's it. I've just been handling them a lot. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. All right, bye. Using just some blueprints and a slide ruler, he was able to find a suitable location about 20 kilometers northwest of Chernobyl at a spot along the Pripyat River. <clears throat> Point one Done. in the books. <laughs> we'll do one a day. <laughs> yeah. This episode will be out in three months. We got time. Who cares? Celebration drink. No, I'm actually going to do that. <laughs> Drink when I fuck up, drink when I do it right. That's how we that's how we roll here. <laughs> that's a that's an addict's philosophy right there. <laughs> Man, I had a rough day. I need to I need to drink. Uh, yeah. Man, today was fucking badass. Let's celebrate. <laughs> 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 that's me. <laughs> the site was quickly approved by the ministry, and so Brukhanov hired a road had hired a road. You fucking moron. I hate my life. I want to kill myself. Mm. Sexy road. You want to get in the car? <laughs> well, if you get off me. Oh, I plan to be on you all night, baby. Mm. I'll get off of an on you. Wait, no. How much is a half and half road? What's a half and half? I think sucky fucky. <laughs> oh, hello. You know, if you pull a gun on them, you don't have to pay them. <laughs> that people are already moving into their apartments. 
before they had heat or paved roads. That's not hastily you need constructed. Me to be paved, baby. Yeah. I'm back to our road <laughs> oh, prostitute the road. joke. That's, that's not going to be in the between show. me and you. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you rather me be unpaved? <laughs> Stupid. It doesn't even make. Why do I care if you're paved or unpaved? The pave, paving is the clothing. Oh. When you're trying to solicit the road. I thought it was the hair around the private parts. Like pay, like shaved. Oh, shaved. Shaved. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh. no, I'm all natural. Oh, shit, that's like a. I was just road. gonna make a joke about Philadelphia, but god damn it. What, Tom Hanks making me gay and AIDS? <laughs> He made you gay in AIDS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you heard me. <laughs> the operators just had a man... Ooh, no. Bopperators? The, the bopperator. The big bopperator on the plane with Buddy Holly and Richie Valens crashing into the fucking... <laughs> Hitler loved dogs. I love my dogs. Oh, no! Oh, no! And he didn't like smoking. Mm-hmm. You like smoking, Chris? I got a pipe. I got a pipe. Tobacco. Down Light there. Right that Light that direction. Right it's under. Light it up. Oh, mm-hmm. can't. I'm not allowed to smoke it in the house. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> if you complimented every amazingly great thing I said, we'd be here all day. Oh, we have been. We've, We've been be- here for like three hours. <laughs> no, we'd be here all day. <laughs>